Peace, everybody. Welcome to Behold Pop Culture, the show where you and I will take a look at some prominent people, figures, and events from pop culture today and in the past and try and see what lessons we could take away from them. This is a show that was born out of the great power that our similarities have in bringing people together across culture, language, and locational boundaries. Each week we will continue to recap events that take place in the sports, music, film, and gaming world, as these are the four main pillars of popular culture that have united people since the beginning of time itself. So join me on the ride through pop culture, beginning this week with the sports section of the podcast, as we have now been welcomed by the beginning of the NFL season. The stories that have come out around each and every team have been endless, from new players in new situations, new coaches on new teams, to who will win a Super Bowl and who will be right back sitting on the couch hoping to get the number one pick in the NFL draft. But with the first two weeks arriving at their conclusion, there are more than enough stories surrounding a core few teams in the NFL. Beginning with a tale of new beginnings. Close to a month into, for many people, the school season, I'm sure that you can relate to many others when I discuss That first day of school feeling. Some people lay their outfits out on the bed. They want to make sure all their supplies are ready. They have their schedule in hand or on their device. Trying to make sure that nothing goes wrong in the first day of school. Everything can fall out of whack throughout the semester. You lose it. You bring it back later on. But that first day of school. You want to make sure that everything is in place for your success. This is something that happens all the way from children in kindergarten and first grade to people in their last semesters of college. So you can only imagine what the feeling would be like if you were to do all of that, come as prepared as possible, excited to show off to the friends and new students in your class, and people were to start making fun of you, ridiculing your outfit, it would be a far from ideal position to be in. Unfortunately, for sports, this is a position that can not just result in people around you making fun of you, but people internationally, across the globe, speaking down on your name. And this, in fact, was very true for a new class of quarterbacks possibly the most important position in all of sports, making their debut for their teams, and frankly, underperforming. Whether it was the number one pick in the draft, Trevor Lawrence, now having thrown over five picks, alongside the second pick in Zach Wilson for the New York Jets, a franchise that's desperately searching for some success, but does not seem to be any closer with their new quarterback, Or Justin Fields, a man who was given the keys to the franchise for the Chicago Bears, having his first real test, and unfortunately also having thrown a pick on a disguised formation. The rookie quarterbacks are not having the greatest first days of school. But you have to remember, these players are on these teams because the teams were bad enough 
to get a high enough pick to take them. They can still be the franchise-changing players that they are desired to be, but let them get through their growing pains. That's life. Rarely are we at our best at the beginning of our entrance into a new position, let alone a new chapter in our lives. Greatness can still be on the horizon, and like these rookie quarterbacks, stumbling here and there is not the end-all, be-all on the journey to self-defined success. Outside of these rookie quarterbacks, we are also witnessing players simply defy time itself. As the greatest player in NFL history, Tom Brady, is 44 years old and looking as dominant as ever, he is now thrown for a combined nine touchdowns to open the first two games of the NFL season. He is leading his position in thrown touchdowns and currently on pace to break the record for most touchdowns in an NFL season. Whether you're a fan or not, Tom Brady is showing the power of modern medicine at its absolute best. The converted vegan who is most likely challenging LeBron James for most money invested in his body is now the oldest elite quarterback we have ever seen in the sport. Coming off of a Super Bowl win, he is back and competing once again to be the best team in the league, best quarterback in the league, and win the Super Bowl trophy back-to-back. Paying even the smallest amount of attention to your health in today's time could truly pay dividends when we witness Tom Brady, Mike Tyson, these older athletes performing at unbelievable levels despite previously perceived physical restrictions. Other teams led by youthful talent have shown themselves to be just as competitive, at least to open the season, whether it's the Arizona Cardinals led by Kyler Murray, who truly seems to be just as magical and crafty as Patrick Mahomes, or the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that many people did not expect to be successful, being led by Derek Carr, who was showing his own level of leadership and talent to guide this underrated team to success. Or the Los Angeles Rams, a team that has seemed to now have had a strategic leg up on the rest of the league for more than a couple of years. With an innovative play-calling system in place, all they had to do was upgrade their talent at the quarterback position They have opened up their options to truly be one of the most dynamic and explosive offenses in the league without necessarily having top five players at key positions on offense. The new wave of superstars are knocking on the doors of legendary status. And with two weeks in the books, there will be plenty more time for them to cement themselves in the history books. But two phenomenal artists who have already cemented their names in the history books and are simply trying to expand the number of pages that talk about them are Kanye West and Drake, two artists that over the past three to four weeks have been constantly 
pit against each other, partially at their own fault, but largely at the fault of miseducated music critics who are far from qualified to offer intellectual discourse on these two artists' projects, let alone recognizing the fact that they haven't truly sat and analyzed these projects with enough intentionality to point out points of potential improvement. But with some weeks past, it's about time to finally put the discussions to rest. Beginning with Kanye's album, Donda, the gospel-inspired rap album that was scarce in drums but plentiful in features can appeal to fans who are more enamored with melodies than complex drum patterns and elite lyricism in most cases. With standout features from artists like Vori, The Weeknd, Young Thug, and Roddy Rich, this is not an album for the boom bap hip hop fans who may only be impressed with 5-0-4-N's verse on Off the Grid or Jay Electronica, who challenged for verse of the year on Jesus Lord. But strictly looking at the musicality of the album, you will be hard-pressed to straight-up call it a bad project. Hurricane, Moon, and No Child Left Behind, just to name a couple of tracks, have such a soothing sound to them, as Kanye has now long departed from the questionable mixing on Jesus is King. This album that would ultimately sell 350,000 units in its first week off of a random release on a Sunday, had several moments where Kanye sounded like he was in full form. But the real talent that showed itself was Kanye's ability to curate the artists around him and bring out the best in their performances. 5 e Foreign just simply had never rapped at this level publicly and came out and delivered the best verse that I've ever heard from him on this project. The weekend was phenomenal on Hurricane. The biggest yet very valid critique of the project has been its length, as Kanye opted to release a nearly two-hour project that doesn't just end at 23 songs, but comes back with four more of alternative versions of the songs and still may have a deluxe version on the way. Some of these features should have just been added to the end of the songs or removed altogether. But all in all, Kanye did not disappoint, as this ode to his mother enabled him to continue to challenge the norms in the hip-hop culture. Behold, pop culture does approve of this project and recommends that Anyone who's a fan of music, at least give it a shot and see how you feel about this melodic piece of art. On the other side of the coin, his apparent challenger, Drake, dropped his newest project since releasing the relatively mediocre Dark Lanes demo tapes collection of unreleased songs. Drake returns seeking to recapture the reins on the industry and greatness with his new album, Certified Loverboy. Welcomed by album art representing that it was nine months late 
to the previous release date that we had discussed on this podcast of January 2021, Drake comes with a similarly long 21-song album featuring another classic opening on champagne poetry, several standout lyrical performances, including throwing shots at Mr. Kanye West himself and his fair share of toxicity while reflecting on his relationships with women. While this project is less musically polarizing than Donda, it has been much more polarizing on the side of fans trying to decipher whether or not this is actually a good Drake project. I've seen a wide range of interpretations from some people believing this is the best version of Drake we've ever seen to some saying that he sounds uninspired and is chasing after his old hits. And frankly, as someone who has listened very attentively to this and all of his prior projects, both sides of the coin raise valid points. But the problem is each of these fans dial those points to the maximum level. So we could begin with the bad and end with the good. On the bad side of things, some of these songs do sound almost identical in searching after capturing previously successful tracks. Whether it's fountains featuring teams clearly trying to recapture the power that One Dance had over the world, a song that to date has surpassed a billion streams, or Yeba's Heartbreak clearly being the same as George's interlude on More Life. The popular hip-hop-adjacent podcast, Rory and Maul, experienced some virality as Rory described this project crediting a friend of his own as what someone would have made if they were asked to make a Drake parody album. Not that the project was bad, but it was as if someone were to say, try to take all the good songs that Drake had and remake versions of them and compile them into a project. So for those who deemed this to be a disappointing project, it was largely at the hands of Drake seeming to have had little to no innovation in how he approached this album. He stayed in the pocket safe like Tom Brady instead of going out there trying to challenge himself to do something more musically or content-wise that would capture new attention in his fan base. It's still Drake that's toxic, still Drake that feels underrated, challenged by people like Kanye West, and still Drake searching for love. And when people believe that this album could have been created by a version of you 10 years prior, that is legitimate grounds for critique, in my opinion, for fans that are seeking that out of him, seeking the experimentation, seeking the development, seeking the evolution in the story of the person that is Drake. People that may be borderline excessively invested in his development will feel this way. But on the flip side, that doesn't deny the fact that there are great songs on this project. 
in a vacuum, if you hadn't heard those hits from Drake, these songs would be great. Champagne Poetry had a great beat and was easily one of his best openings to an album. You Only Live Twice captured vintage prime performances from Lil Wayne and Rick Ross. Gaba's Heartbreak allowed an artist that is relatively unknown in popular culture to show out and show up with a great interlude. And there are plenty of quotables, like Drake saying the line, I'm like Shikari, smoke him on and off the track. Drake, when he hops in that bag, is undeniably a lyrical talent. All in all, this is a solid collection of music. But unfortunately, for untrained ears, context will largely influence the way you receive this music. So for some, this is the album of the year. They needed the club songs. They needed the toxic songs about women. And they got exactly what they were looking for. While others wanted more, others demanded a change from him. For me, I enjoy both albums. I see the greatness in both, and being able to remove the lens of my subjectivity allowed me to have two amazing experiences enjoying the good music that was released. Drake nearly doubled Kanye's sales, understandably so with his international appeal, with about 650,000 sales. The only thing that soured, honestly, both projects for me was Drake's questionable decision to release Andre 3000's unreleased song with Kanye, Life of the Party, a song that I will go out on a limb and say had the best verse of any song I've heard this year, allowed artist Andre 3000 to speak to his spiritual state, speak to his mother who has passed away, reporting back on where he is at in his life, Asking Donda, Kanye's mother, if she could hear him to deliver the message to Mama Three Stacks. For such a beautiful verse to be tainted by Kanye following up, speaking to his animosity towards Drake, just completely threw off the energy. An energy that's so difficult to capture in music, yet Andre did it. And Drake decided to release a song that, with all due respect, that verse was better than anything that Kanye and Drake released. So why would he release this verse that was better than every verse on his own project? All it seemed to do was further prop up Andre 3000's legacy and make both Kanye and Drake look bad as Andre 3000 had to come out with the statement saying that he did not want to be mixed in with this set of affairs between Kanye and Drake and just simply wanted to come out and make good music with greats. Let's just keep this about the music. Just make great songs that have great impacts on people's lives. Just as Marvel on the film side of things has found their pocket in making cinematic movies that continue to bring people out to the theaters and have impacts on their movie experiences. As Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings 
just passed $300 million grossed internationally in the box office. Shang-Chi, a great movie about a relatively lesser-known character in the Marvel Universe, a new one in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, allowed an Asian superhero to flourish with some of Marvel's greatest action scenes and a refreshing incorporation on non-Western culture within the movie. It took all the great things that Black Panther was able to accomplish regarding becoming a cultural reset when introducing a when introducing a character who is not of white descent as a main character in a film and dialed it up to the max. The costumes were off the chain, the sound effects, the actual visuals and the way that the fights took place. It was a movie that has to be experienced on the big screen. And I'm a sucker for choreography. So to see Marvel really take the time, I saw the main actor, Simu Liu, had to train for multiple years to master the choreography necessary to get off what they did in the movie. Marvel had been able to hold it down over the pandemic with their TV shows that captured the eyes of fans across the world, and they are gearing up to be right back at it, dominating the box office, with Shang-Chi being a great start to it, and Spider-Man coming in December, potentially knocking it out of the park. And while for some, having that hype of the name brand around Marvel allows you to overpromise but still deliver because you meet expectations so well. But in the gaming world, for NBA 2K22, with 2K being a name brand that in recent history has fallen in some hot water for overpromising and consistently underdelivering. The franchise opted to come into this cycle with a completely different frame of mind. As NBA 2K22 has now released as the most underhyped 2K game in a very long time, potentially a decade, with very little promotion, no excitement out of the trailers, 2K launched rather quietly and received some of the best responses I've seen in the past five years, the underhyped, overdelivered strategy allowed them to cruise over the fact that they had a current gen and next gen version that were very different, despite not having an insane graphical turnover. The servers are somewhat holding up, and they even opted to make the biggest change in a long time to the My Career franchise. By making it an RPG quest-based gameplay instead of throwing players in to a pre-selected story mode. Largely written as a storyline that fans never truly connected with. The gameplay is currently balanced and 2K is on its way to completely washing out the disaster that was NBA 2K21. As we continue to monitor whether or not they can sustain such success, we have arrived at the end of today's podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you taking your time out 
please let me know if there's any ways that I can make this a better audio experience for you. And I hope that you've taken something away from this podcast, whether it was a lesson in the chase of greatness, the power of subjectivity versus objectivity, or even or could appreciate the role that Shang-Chi played in a cultural reset of sorts. And just like that, you have been equipped with the knowledge of the things that have taken place in pop culture over the last week or so. And I will talk to you next week. This is Behold Pop Culture.